today we are going to finish Philippians. It's been, this will be the 12th message uh, that we've done on the book of Philippians. And to be honest with you, we probably could have done another 12 more or so because the Bible is so chock full of truth. And uh, we, we looked at this amazing letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. And uh, Paul has really showed us the core of the gospel, the good news. He's shown us what it, has mean, uh, what it means to be a Christian. Jesus being at the center, the pursuit of this close relationship with Christ, the reason we live. He talked about putting others first before ourselves, putting ourselves at the end of the line, giving up our seat for someone else using our resources to bless and help others without looking for anything in return. We also looked at how we think of ourselves. We, we, we saw that we shouldn't uh, live in the idea that we've arrived because we haven't yet arrived. We're not better than anyone else. We're not motivated by vainglory or pride and that we should learn to be content where we are, not living in constant want or desire. And really what Paul outlined here for us is the way that we can have joy, the way that we can have joy. And uh, I remember this from when I was uh, probably a teenager. Someone showed me this acrostic, and I think this is what uh, Paul is talking about. He says, Jesus first, others next, yourself last. J-O-Y. Jesus first, others next, yourself last. Last. This is how we're going to bring joy to our world. We looked at Philippians 4.11 last week, and uh, it said this. Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We talked about thankfulness and contentment last week, and we're going to dive deeper into that this week because just because Thanksgiving is over doesn't mean we should just go back to being ungrateful, you know, slobs or whatever you want to say. <laughs> do you ever get worried when you start a sentence and you're not sure what's going to come out at the end of it? That happens to me every once in a while. Uh, but we don't just go back to being un ungrateful, right? See, we live in a world that's not familiar with contentment. I'm almost 34, and the world was so different than just when I was a kid. And I'm relatively young. When I was at soccer practice, I, when I had to call my mom, I had to use a payphone. Like, that's weird, right? And sometimes I would even call collect, and when it asked for my name, I'd say, Mom, come hurry, pick me up. Before I had to spend any money, because I didn't have any. When I was uh, younger, uh, when you wanted to pull up a web page or go on the internet, you had to boot up this gigantic computer, and it took like three minutes to even like wake up. And then you search something, and then it takes ten minutes for that uh, page to come up because you're searching on AOL dial-up internet that for some reason came on a CD, uh, which doesn't make any sense anymore, right? And and then you would read the article. You'd be done the article before the picture next to it ever would come up, right? it just scroll down. But things are different. We live in a different world today. 
Most of my uh, childhood was spent, I've got three other brothers. Most of it was spent arguing with my brothers. Uh, but that's not even fun anymore, right? I used to be able to convince them of anything. I would convince my little brother, hey, did you know that Paul Revere was scared to death of horses? Yeah, I don't know why. It's weird. He was something about their cold, dead eyes. He actually ra- uh, rode a llama through Lexington. Did you know that? But now I can't do that anymore. It's so easy to fact check me. You can't just convince people of crazy stuff. We live in a different world. We barely have to wait for anything anymore. We have more access to entertainment than we've ever had before. Social media, smartphones, Netflix, Hulu, Spotify, YouTube. But we're still bored to death as a society. Discontent, restless. But see, contentment is an amazing thing to have. To be grateful with what you have and not living in want or desire for more or better. Paul says, I have learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says, I've learned, I've learned to be content. Why do you have to learn it? Because it's not natural for us. But how did Paul learn to be content? Well, knowing Paul and his intense study of the scripture, I'm sure God's word had something to do with that, teaching him about contentment. Maybe he learned to dwell on Habakkuk 3, verse 17. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. He says, if everything, my livelihood goes wrong, all of my uh, fruits, all of my livestock, if everything just goes terribly, he says next, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk says, look, everything could go wrong in my life, but just give me the God that saved me and I'm okay. I'm content. I will rejoice. Maybe Paul dwelled on Psalm 63 where David said, God, your love is better than life. Can we really say that, God, you and your love and what you mean to me is better than everything else in my life? Your love is everything. See, contentment is all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. God, if I have nowhere to live, nothing to eat, no friends, no money, as long as I have you, I'm okay because your love is better than it all. And Paul had learned from experience That in any and every circumstances, he said, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And Paul says, look, I've had some times where I've had some wealth and I've learned how to live for God in that position. Money and things did not become my God. I didn't sell out when things were going great. Paul says, I've learned how to do that. And then he says, I've learned how uh, to live in contentment when I had nothing. When, uh, and I learned how to get, live for God there as well. When hard times and hunger and want were there, they didn't become my God. And I didn't just focus on them. I did not give in to despair. I did not forsake God. See, true joy and contentment are not related to your circumstances and the things that happen to you. 
See, contentment is on the inside, and the things that are on the outside of this world cannot steal that from you. So, Pastor Phil, you're saying I can be content even when I've lost my job and the bank is foreclosing on my house, and now I have to leave the house that I grew up in and move to a small apartment somewhere. You're saying I can be content, Pastor Phil? No, I'm not saying it. The Bible says it. See, if you're only happy with God when things are going your way, then God is not really your God. Those things are. Would you still love God if he didn't bless you? Job lost everything. Family, health, marriage, house. And he still said this in Job 13, 5. First time I saw this blew my mind. Job, after all this, he says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. See, a lot of pastors have lied to us about what following Christ is. See, when Jesus walked on this earth, there was a lot of people that followed him simply because of the loaves and the fishes. And because he showed them miracles and he entertained them with stories. But they didn't really love Jesus. In fact, the ones that, that would follow him later turned their backs on him. And many were the ones that shouted, crucify him just a short time later. Even the disciples forsook him before the crucifixion. Because they were like, wait a minute, we didn't sign up for all of this. But then, when he rose from the dead, something changed in those cowards. After the resurrection, Peter, Thomas, Matthew, they boldly, the same people that turned their back on Christ, boldly died for the name of Christ. See, the cross changes everything. But we do not worship God to get something from him, blessings or good fortune. We worship God because he is God, and he deserves it. And even when hard times, we can be content because God is still God and God is good. Healthy or sick, friends or no friends, loved or alone, you can learn to be content in any situation. And a person that has that God-based contentment is really the richest and most joyful person in the world. First Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. It says, for we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of this world. Paul says, look, if you want to have a close walk with God and you learn to live in, uh, learn to not live in want, what else could you possibly leave, uh, need? If you learn to live and walk close to God and you don't desire and want and just live in greed and envy, you're going to have everything you need. Like I mentioned last week, someone said this to me once or in a book, I can't remember. It says, want only what you have and you'll have everything you want. Want only what you have and you'll have everything you want. We came into this world with nothing and we'll leave with nothing. You came in naked and you're going to leave naked, right? So you want your family to have the best Christmas you have ever had, then push and press as close to God as you can and learn not to want. Be content. A content person cannot be disappointed. So stop trying to compete with the Insta families for the 
picture-perfect Christmas. Quit trying to impress your in-laws and seek to satisfy your heart in Christ. Circumstances do not determine your contentment. You can learn to be content no matter what has happened to you. Don't take my word for it. Take the Bible. After Paul says, I've learned how to be content, he ends that little passage with this. He says in in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is probably one of the most taken out of context verses in the Bible. We see it on Christian athletic apparel with a guy trying to hit a home run, and it says on the bottom, I can do all things. Well, if that was true, then Tim Tebow would still be in the NFL, right? There's a lot of other good Christian people that that didn't work for. That's not how it has supposed to be. God, I really want to be a millionaire, and I can do all things through Christ, so it strengthened me. No. See, in order to understand a verse, you need to look at the verses around it. You can't isolate one sentence in a whole paragraph. And if you would have done that to me this morning in my message, then you could have gone around and told everybody that I said Paul Revere rode a llama through Lexington. I said that. Yes, I did. But you would have taken it out of context. And we can't do that with the Bible either. This verse is saying, I can uh, be content hungry, I can be content with plenty, I can be content in suffering, I can be content in joy, I can do all of these things through Christ who gives me strength. That's a lot different meaning than what we heard most of the time, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not about mustering up some spiritual superpowers. It's about relying on Christ and Christ allowing us to be content even when we're in the most tragic and difficult circumstance. Verse 15, Paul goes on and says, You Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into a partnership with me giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. But he says, I'm not telling you this because I'm seeking a gift from you. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What does that mean, Paul is saying, with a pastor's heart? He's saying, it's not that I want something from you. And that's what I like to tell you right before the offering. It's not because I want that. It's because fruitful Christianity results in us giving of ourselves. That's part of it. Someone once said they, uh, the salvation and the sanctification that doesn't reach the pocketbook has not reached the heart. Until we start changing how we live It's not really deep in us, and it's not really true. And once we start sacrificing, like we talked about this morning with this uh, Advent conspiracy, to give to others and to reach out and to sacrificially live, instead of just trying to be comfortable, instead of just trying to build our bank account. He says, it's not that I seek a gift from you, but it's that I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And then he says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, Paul says, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Next it says, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then looks next here. It says, and my God will supply 
every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Paul says, look, you guys have really taken care of me. Thank you. Even when other churches have abandoned me, you have stuck by me. And and I'm not excited because you gave me a gift or you helped me with my ministry. No, but because your gift is a real proof of Christianity and that you are a Jesus follower. And next he says something crazy. We just saw it. He says, I have all. I am well supplied. I have everything I need. Remember, Paul's writing this letter from prison. And he says, I've got it all. I've got plenty. I'm content. And then next he says, you, church of Philippi, you gave selflessly, and that pleases God. In fact, this is a kind of funny thing. He says, it smells good to God. He says, it's a fragrant offering, a sweet-smelling savor. See, there's a lot of smells during this time of the year that we love, right? Christmas trees and Christmas cookies, different spices, Christmas dinner. And just a hint of those smells can really change your mood and remind you of home and another time. And Paul tells you and tells us the way that we give smells wonderful to God. He tells this church in Philippi, your offering has been a fragrant offering. It pleases God. God gets excited when you give of your time, talent, and treasures. Why? Because God is a cheerful giver. And next, because of their giving, this verse follows when he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. See, that's another verse we use very loosely. God, I need a new phone. I need it. Mine is an older generation phone. And you said you would supply all my needs, God. Come on, help me out here. God, I need a new car, preferably a Jaguar, right? Why do they say it that way? It's Jaguar, right? God, God, I really need to buy my kids the latest toys so that I can post on social media about how great of a parent I am. No, those are wants. God doesn't promise to supply our wants. When I was a kid, we'd walk through Walmart or Toys R Us or something like that, and my dad would tell me, turn your wanter off. Turn your wanter off. I need to tell Chloe that too. But those are wants. Remember where Paul is writing from. He's writing from prison saying, I'm content. God is taking care of me. And God will take care of you too. See, your needs really change when you're content. And notice, like we said, it's, it's a reaction to their selfless giving. Paul says, you guys gave looking for nothing in return, and God is going to make sure that you have what you need. And we know God's good for it, right? He's got the riches. He has everything that we could ever need. And when we give selflessly, we have a promise that God will supply our needs. This is upcoming Christmas season that's right around the corner. Let's learn to be content with where we are. God brought you here. Friends or no friends, fancy things or nothing, perfect family or no family, you can learn to be content through Christ. Why? Because he will give you the strength. And when we begin to put Jesus first, others next, and yourself last, we will experience the joy that Christmas is all about. So what if this year, instead of making a wish list, what if we started making a 
giving list. See, Christmas is all about the gift that God gave. And I challenge you to find ways to give. Maybe not all, I mean, of your finances too, but of your time. Serve in the mission meal. Find a way to serve the community. Knock on your neighbor's door that doesn't get out of the house very often and sit and have a conversation with them. See, that's what Christmas is about. Giving of ourselves selflessly, looking for nothing in return. There was a great philosopher that once said this, and you might want to get your pen out, okay? Go ahead. I'll give you a second. He said this. He said, you're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. You're nasty, wasty skunk. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch. The three best words that best describe you are as follows, and I quote, stink, stank, stunk. See, we don't want to have a a foul-smelling odor to God this Christmas, right? Let's have that content, sweet-smelling, giving attitude this Christmas. Let's stretch ourselves and, and do something supernatural. Let's make it hurt a little bit, something that takes a little bit of faith. And then God will give us the strength that we need and take care of our needs. We've got to have faith. If you want your family to have the best Christmas that it's ever had, then push and press and as, to be as close to God as you can. And learn not to want, to be content, because a content person cannot be disappointed. And when we live selflessly, God will supply our needs. When we selflessly give, it smells wonderful to God. And I challenge you, instead of making that wish list or making, uh, getting your kids to make that wish list, what if we started making a giving list? Finding creative ways to give, getting together in our life groups and in our friend groups to find ways that we can do something because not everything that we do that's spiritual has to be scheduled by the church. And what if we looked for nothing in return? No thank you card, no pat on the back, no recognition from the stage. What if we just made it this Christmas season? Jesus first, others next, yourself last. That's how we're going to bring joy to our world. The band's going to come with every head bowed and eyes closed. Ask yourself this question this morning. Do you have joy? With every head's bowed and eyes closed, we're going to once again take a minute to reflect on what God has spoken to our heart about. Especially this time of year is a noisy and stressful time of year, and it's good for us to sit and think and dwell on truth. So do you have joy? I'm not talking about happiness Happiness is fleeting, but joy bubbles in the background even when terrible things happen. Are your priorities right? If you don't have joy, you need to look at why. And you are made by a God that loves you, and you are made to worship and to be in communion with God. So are your priorities right? Is it Jesus first? Honestly. Not just first on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. 
but on Friday night at 8 o'clock. Is Jesus first? Are others next? Is yourself last? That is the description of what Jesus did for us. Jesus put God first. Then he put us next. And he put himself last. And if the God of the universe can do it, we ought to too. With every head's bowed and eyes closed. Altar's open this morning. If you want to come and kneel and pray, you can use your seat as well. Let's dwell on that question. Do I have joy?